So Titus was in Crete. He wasn't a Cretan. He went with Paul to Crete. So he wasn't a native Cretan. Um, a native Cretan, that's it. It was about the year AD 63, between 65. So everything's quite hard for all the Christians at this stage. New churches are building up. And Paul has left Titus in Crete as one of his disciples who's building the church. So here's Titus on his own in a place that he's not used to. And here is all these churches popping up. Now we're not talking he was the leader of a church the way that Brad is the leader of our church. He was, he was overseeing lots of house churches that are popping up. So lots of issues are coming from different churches and he's trying to deal with all of that. But Paul has, Paul has entrusted him into this job. He's entrusted him and he's entrusted him because he's been training him. Because he was one of Paul's disciples. He was someone that Paul was teaching. And so we're going to learn what that looks like today. Um, but first we're going to read Titus. Uh, where am I pointing this? Oh, so this is, this is our definition of a disciple we're going off. We'll go through that first. A disciple is a learner who constantly practices what they learn. So when we're talking about Titus, he, he didn't go to Crete knowing at all. This is why Paul's sending his letters. He's learning, he's constantly learning what's going on, and he's practicing that all the time. So when we're talking about being disciples, you don't have it all together when you're a disciple, but you're learning and you're putting into practice what you learn. Okay, so Titus, if you guys want to open it up, um, it's probably going to be bigger than it is up on the screen. <laughs> if you open it up, we're going through the whole book of Titus, but it is the whole first chapter of Titus, rather, but it is only small, so um, follow along with me. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge uh, resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. That's a really good way to write a letter. From now on when you write letters, you have to start it like that. Now that's the rule from now on. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. So now we get into what Paul's writing about. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one of but one wife, men whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since, uh, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves, uh, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people and uh, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcised group. There must be, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. E- uh, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. 
Therefore rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in their faith and they will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or commands uh, of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and consciousness are corrupted. They claim to know God, but but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. So, um, so I should have moved that across there. But, um, so, this is, this is, this is the message that Titus has been given. Uh, we're gonna break it up into a couple of parts tonight. Um, and the first part of that is that Titus has been told to set elders in the church. Um, now I'm, I'm not gonna spend all night looking at elders. Uh, because we couldn't do that and cover Titus and cover discipleship. There's just too much in here. But I do recommend, if you guys aren't sure of what our elders do, if you aren't sure why we have elders, Brad did a fantastic sermon on that earlier, and that'll be on our church website. So you should listen to that instead of hoping I'll fill in all those blanks. But first of all, uh, he tells him to elect elders. Um... And so I started thinking why. I went back through all this stuff and to know why he needed elders is important. So the role of an elder. So they need to lead the church. Uh, this, this isn't just a, you know, standing up the front, doing things like that. Elders work hard. I'm sure all the elders here will nod their head and go, they work hard. And more importantly, all the elders' partners will nod their head and go, they work hard. It's, it's about, not just about keeping things running, but it's about making sure the church moves forward in their faith, that we don't become a group of people that are gathering together and just being stagnant, that we're making a change, that we're doing what God's calling us to do. So they are always, they're the ones that are pushing the church into a forward motion. Um, and that means they then need to deal with the discipline of the church as well. Uh, no one really wants to do that stuff. And we like to pretend that stuff doesn't happen wrong in a church. Like, we all just put on a smile and go, but a church is great, and nothing ever happens, and it's not like that. You know, we're, we're a place full of people, so stuff happens. And, you know, hopefully most of the time it's quite easy to deal with. But sometimes big things happen. Sometimes stuff that we don't want to talk about. It, it could be that... Um, we have people that come into our church that do unsafe things and that's, that then falls with the elders and they need to decide how to do that. We have, we, we may have people that are, um, are teaching wrong things and that falls with the elders. They need to do that. We may have people that are just not benefiting um, God in the way that they represent the church and they need to deal with that. So the church elders need to deal with all the discipline that happens in the church and if you have a healthy church that is moving forward you're going to have issues that arise too because people are going to be drawn that are broken um, but the, the thing with an elder is that it doesn't just fall on what we see here it doesn't just fall on earthly terms because an elder is also responsible to God for what happens here we're each responsible for our own faith you know, we can't get to heaven and go oh yeah but you know, the elders at BBC, they just didn't teach me properly, so you should let me into heaven anyways. God's going to go, oh, too bad. But, well, you know, that's, that's it. But they, they're responsible to make sure that they are protecting here. So they, they take on the role of a father, of the parents of the church. It is their responsibility to God. 
Um, and when I look at that list, I go, that's really cool. I want to make sure there's good people fulfilling that list. Because, you know what, if they're going to lead the church, and they're going to then deal with anything that your people in the church are constantly messing up with, um, I want to know that they're doing that right, and that if they're then going to have to stand to God for that, that we've got the right people in there. But the beauty of this verse is, if you keep reading on, is that God gives the job description for that as well. So... Job description of an elder is that they need to be blameless. Um, I think this, well, this disqualifies most people um, because if you, when you read that you go, oh, they're going to be blameless, then uh, they're going to have done nothing wrong. Um, and it's really good that that word isn't pure because otherwise we would have no elders um, and no one would ever be able to stand for that role. But when it talks about blameless, they're not saying that they can have never done anything wrong. They're not saying that all they're wrong was in the past, but they're going to be perfect from now on. What they're saying is that they, they're coming to God, that they're bringing what they're doing to God, and they're, um, they're, out of, um, they're, they're aware of what's going on and that they are constantly moving forward themselves with God. If you're moving forward, you can't be caught back in old sin. They're not being trapped doing the same stuff again. But it's not simply about being blameless. It's not just about them doing the right things. It's about appearing to be blameless as well. So it's about living their life beyond reproach. So they, it's not a matter. So for, to put that in, in terms, um, if we don't think of our elders, if we think of maybe an elder in another church that's not married, it's not simply about uh, the male elder going, I'm going to hang out with a female friend on my own at night, but I know nothing's going to happen. Nothing may have happened, but how is someone else from the outside going to go, well, yeah, you guys say nothing happened, but, you know, you're all alone in a dark house on your own. It's about making sure you live your life where people look at you and go, no, believe what you're saying, because there's no way anything else could have happened. They need to be faithful to one wife or to one husband. So, um... They're called to be faithful, and, and this sounds nice and easy. They just need to have one husband or one wife for their life, and it's over. Or maybe it's something along those lines, but it's more than that. What happens if they're single? If you're single, can you no longer be an elder? Um, is it just a matter of making sure that you never sleep with anyone else? But there's a lot more to being faithful to your partner. And for those that are single, you can be faithful to your future partner. Maybe that's a thought you haven't had before. But we're called to be faithful and they're called to be faithful to their partner regardless of what stage of their relationship they're in. So that is, it's, in some ways it's simple like, well, you know what, I'm going to save and make sure that I only have sex with my husband or wife when I am married. And that's great, you're being faithful to your partner that way. But are you then spending the rest of your time, you may not be having sex with them, but you're looking at porn. You're not being faithful. You're not being faithful there. Are you being faithful in all of those areas, but you're spending all your thought time on someone else? Because that belongs to your partner. Are you spending all your emotional energy and are you emotionally connecting with someone else of the opposite sex more than you are your partner? Because that's not okay either. There's a lot to being faithful. And what if you're single? Well, what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says unless you're married, then everyone is 
your brother or your sister. So, when you stand up to marry who it is you're going to marry, you're going to be able to look them in the eyes and go, you know what? Every other woman I treated as my sister. Even if it was a matter of I was dating someone else. Are you going to be able to go, you know what? I still knew that I was focusing on my future partner, whether it was that person or whether it was someone else, but I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about a future with them and about raising a family with them and doing my life with them. And that doesn't mean you're shutting out the person now because that may be them. But are you treating them as your sister now? Are you treating them as your brother now? Because if not, then you're not being faithful. It's, it, it is that simple when you put it in those terms. Okay, they have, they have to have ch- children who are believers and not wild and disobedient. Uh, really, really simply, uh, it, it looks great. Um, what happens to those who have one child who doesn't follow God? Or what happens if you're someone like Brandon, you go, I'm sorry, you can't be an elder because faith's too little to believe. Um, it, it's, it's not disqualifying people in those categories. It's when you when you go back to the Greek. I don't have the Greek word. I'm sorry. I'm not taking on a Greek lesson today. But when you go back to the Greek of that, there is a couple of ways that it's translated. It's most commonly translated as believer, but the other way that it's translated is it's a follower. It's someone who is following their parents' rules. They're they're responsible, and the parent is guiding them. They're taking them on a good life. And are they wild or disobedient? Does that mean? that when Faith runs past Brad in the hall and he goes, Faith, stop, and she keeps running, that his child is wild and disobedient? No, it means his child is free. Like, let's be honest there. But is he sowing into them a seed of, of growth, a seed of God? Is that how he's living his life with them? That's what it's talking about there. Okay, they're not to be overbearing, quick-tempered, given to drunkenness, not violent and not pursuing dishonourable gain. Now, that's pretty basic. Like if I don't want someone who's going to be in charge of discipline if they're really quick-tempered because there's going to be no grace there and that's not going to be very helpful. Um, I don't want them to be violent because we're going to have similar issues. Um, but this final one, are they not pursuing dishonourable gain? Why do they want to be an elder? You want, to be, you want people in eldership who are servant leaders. You want anyone in leadership who is a servant leader. And with that, if they're a servant leader, they're going to be hospitable. They're going to want to invite people in. They're going to be a lover of good because they're seeking God's kingdom. They're going to be self-controlled, upright, holy. And that final word is disciplined. You can't have a disciple without discipline. You can't even spell disciple without discipline. Like, without... Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. You can't spell discipline without disciple. They, they go together. Those, those words mixed together. And that doesn't just mean in the way that they read the Bible and the way that they come to God. Because if you're dis- disciplined in one area of your life, then you want that to overflow into everything else. So, you know, you, you want elders who are disciplined in the way that they connect with God, but you want elders who are disciplined in uh, their physical life, in their mental life, in their spiritual life, in their emotional life. You want discipline across the board. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to have issues because we go back to the top. An elder isn't perfect, but an elder is someone who is being discipled by God and they're trying to learn and they're trying to constantly do what they're learning.
Um, so this is really fantastic, and I love looking at this list because I go, the more I know our elders, the more I go, I love this. I can see that coming into work. But what does that mean for the rest of us? Because not everyone is going to be an elder. Um, to be brutally honest, not everyone wants to be an elder. When I go back to the list of what we have to do, I don't know if I want the weight of the church on my shoulders. I don't know if I want that responsibility. But when you read this, you realise this isn't a set of skills. These are character traits. And the reason we elect these guys as elders is because they're displaying these characters. And I want these characters in my Christian life. If I'm going to be discipled by God, if I'm going to be discipled by people, I want the people that are being discipled to have these because I want these. I don't want to have people always looking at me going, you may say that, but there's no proof. That's the way you're living. I don't want people to say that I'm only aiming to do stuff because of me. I want people to say that I am hospitable and that I am disciplined and that I am holy and upright. So you may not be an elder. You may not be called to be an elder. But you are called to be able to fulfill this job description still. Um... And, and the reason for that, as we go on, says there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. If we, aren't, if we aren't looking to be filled with that, then we're not filled with truth. If we're not being led by people that are living life that way, then we're going to be led by people like this. And if you've ever thought about it, but you have to have one or the other. There are always words coming into your life. So back then, these, the circumcision group... Um, as, as most people have probably picked up, they were, they were the Jewish group. They were living by the Jewish rules still. They were saying, this has to happen this way. It's not merely enough to be saved, but you need to be circumcised and you need to follow all these rules. And, and Paul is writing to say, no, it's not about that. These guys are doing that because they need people to follow them. You come to our synagogue, you come to our temple and you sacrifice at our altars, then that's profiting us. But Paul's saying it's not about that now. These guys want from you. We want you to find God. And so if you aren't seeking people, that if you're not sitting under people that have this job description of an elder, then you're sitting under these guys. You have to sit under one or the other because there is only truth and untruth in our world. And if you are seeking truth, then you can dispute your untruth. If you aren't, then you are going to fill your life with untruth. And the best way that I could think of that is a garage. If you imagine your life as a garage, this is the way we want our garage to look. We want to be able to fit our cars in there. We want it to be nice and clean and dry. This is what it was designed for. Out of curiosity, how many people have a car in their garage? Alright. How many people don't have a car in their garage? Okay, you don't have a garage. Well... Um, because most of our garages look a little more like this. Now, my garage looks a lot like this. I couldn't get a car up my driveway anyways, but even without that, this is what my garage looks like. And it's as simple as, as soon as you park your car in there, there's no room for clutter. If you're parking truth in your life, there's no room for, for untruth. That is all that fits in there. As soon as the car stays out for a day or a couple of days, you go, oh, I just need to put this box somewhere. And, oh, the car's not in the garage. I'll just throw it there. I'll get to it later. 
And a couple of days later, you go, oh, I just, I need to move this couch. I'll just, I'll just put it in there. And then you go, oh, the couch doesn't fit in the garage. And I went, oh, but that means I can put this in there. And very, very quickly, this is what happens. And you've gone from this position of going, well, if my car had been in there, I knew where its limitations was. But now I know this is filled and there is nothing I can do about it. So when we come to God, when we sit under those who can disciple us, when we are searching into God's word, when we're searching for his truth, we have that car parked in the garage, we have that truth in the garage, and there is no room for untruth because that is always being disputed. As soon as you stop sitting under that, then there are untruths waiting to come on. And they come in every form. They come from driving down the highway and the signs that are all over the road. They come from TV. They come from radio. They come from adverts. They come from friends. They come from other people that you think are wiser than you. But if you're not going into the truth of the Bible, and if you're not going into the truth of people that fit that job description, and even with the people that fit that, if you're not testing that against the truth in the Bible, because ultimately this is always going to be what disciples us, then this is what happens. And as soon as the ball starts rolling, it fills up fast. And the, the mess to get this off, when I was looking for this picture, the only way I could find these pictures was companies that pay, that you pay to come and clean out your mess because it's too big for you to deal with anymore. And that's what happens in our life. We get so full of mess, so caught up in lies, we can't deal with it ourselves anymore. And that's when we need to go back, when we need to go back to those that that are discipling us. Um, the The other side of having it this cluttered is that this is what it reflects. I don't know how many of you reflect your life uh, who, how many of you, when you're feeling stressed, your, your life gets cluttered? Your house, just the work starts to build up. Your car, if you're anything like me, people can look at my car and go, alright, it's, it's been a bit of a bad week, maybe month. I don't know when the last time you cleaned your car at all was actually. We probably just, just need to do that. And I feel that in myself. I get stressed and I reflect the clutter of my life. But if my life is filled with clutter of untruth, then that's what I reflect. So I'm no longer reflecting being blameless. I'm no longer reflecting being um, noble, being holy. I'm no longer focusing on my future partner or on my current partner. I am starting to reflect mess and untruth because that's all that's getting in. But God makes it very, the Bible, Paul makes it very clear for us here that to the pure, all things are pure. And for the corrupt and those who do not believe, nothing is pure. That doesn't mean life is rosy. If you believe, life isn't rosy. In fact, it's probably going to get harder. But if you are living in a, in a peaceful time, in a time where you're searching for God's peace and for God's truth, then you are going to look that. We started the camp this weekend with, you will get out what you put in. And that's true for all of life. If you put in truth you're going to reflect truth to others. If you put in lies, if you put in untruths, you're going to reflect untruths to others. And we're called, we're called to reflect truth. But who should that truth look like? Um, we should be, as we're filling in that job list, we pick people that are, that are in disciples. We pick people that we want to be discipled by, people that are in eldership, 
because by reflecting that list, they're reflecting God. They're reflecting Jesus. That's who we're seeing. Now, I, I, I watch a lot of the skit guys. I don't know how many of you guys do, but they make a very clear point in one of their shows. They stand, they, they're standing there and they say, when you look at the mirror, who do you see? He says, I see me. And he says, that's not good enough. I don't want the world out there to see Jennifer because I'm a mess. I make mistakes all the time. I hurt other people. I just generally make a mess of life. But the more truth I let come in, the more, the less of me that there is in there and the more of God and the more I can reflect him. And the world no longer sees me. They start to see Jesus. And that's what I want to do. I want to reflect Jesus. Um, are you? I, I want to give you a moment now to reflect and think, what do people see in you? Do they see you modelling Jesus? Um, or do they see the lies of the world coming through you? Do they see the truth of the Bible? Or do they see what the world is trying to sell as truth, but just brings pain? And as you think about that, I, I take you back. At the, ooh, the other way. Broke it, Matt. Can I have it back? Um, as, as you go back, as I will pull up the job description list again in a sec, when you look at that list, where... Yeah. Um, when you look at this list, you go, where is it that I'm not reflecting that? What, or maybe more importantly, what am I reflecting? Am I reflecting that I have a quick temper? Am I reflecting that I am overbearing? Or when I come down to the discipline, do I go, I don't do that very well. Maybe, maybe I got let down when I was learning how to do finances with my parents. Maybe, maybe I just, I, I find it hard to pray and to be a disciplined prayer. Maybe I struggle to search, seek into God or to read the Bible. And then that's when I go, well, this is where we start looking for people to disciple us. It's not just about God discipling us. He's always going to be, we're always going to be his disciples and that's why we spend time in his word. But he's also placed other people that can disciple us because we were never meant to do this alone. We were meant to be a family. And so when you start looking at that and you go, you know what, I want to be more of this, then I, I ask that you spend some time going, well, God, what is it that I want to do? And start spending some time reflecting on him and saying, who is it that can help me do that? Maybe I need to get my finances in control and I know someone in the church who's fantastic at that so I'm going to meet with them and they're going to help me do that and then they're going to keep me accountable for that. Maybe I just want to learn to pray. I just want to learn to do that better but I just see this, this person who does it so wholeheartedly all the time. I want to learn that from them because a disciple is someone who constantly practices what they learn. It's not, it's not about having it right. It's not about learning it once either. Being a disciple doesn't mean that I learn one lesson once and it's all over because there's always another level. There's always a chance to go deeper. So I'm just going to give you guys a couple of minutes to, um, to think about that and reflect. Ask God to reveal in your heart what it is that's stopping you, what it is that's hindering you, what it is that's not showing the light of Jesus but instead is getting in the way and you're starting to reflect your clutter instead.